We've all seen the incredible horse and rider combinations as the backbone of our sport. But what about everything else that makes the equestrian world tick? From the everyday grind to the world-class professional, join the Equestrian Podcast as we talk about every equestrian discipline in a way that hasn't been done before. Now here's your host, rider, trainer, and influencer behind my equestrian style, Bethany Lee. Welcome back to the Equestrian Podcast. I'm your host, Bethany Lee, and this is episode 342. Our guest today began her equestrian career in eventing, but she eventually became a head groom and barn manager for Payne Equestrian in North Carolina, home of Olympic eventer Doug Payne. She has been head groom at several five-star competitions, Nations Cups, Pan American Games in Lima, Peru, and the Tokyo Olympics in 2021. Though it was a successful position, she ended up leaving Payne Equestrian last year to pursue an even higher equestrian calling, ensuring grooms after her will have experiences just as wonderful as hers has been. She became a founding board member of the International Grooms Association, IGA, in 2021, and now also serves as the U.S. coordinator for the organization. So without further ado, please welcome our guest today, Courtney Carson. Hi, Courtney. Hi, how's it going? Going well. How are you? Oh, I'm doing good. Good. I'm so excited to have you on. I feel like you have a lot of great stories that got you to where you are today. But first, tell me how you got started in the horse world. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's a wild story. Um, so my mom had always wanted to ride. Her parents had horses when she was young. And then, you know, it was typical like blue collar family, you know, ended up cutting couldn't afford the horses long term. And so, you know, she kind of always wanted to ride as a young girl. And when I started school, typical, you know, parent teacher night type of thing, she was talking to another parent and they were like, oh yeah, my older daughter rides, you know, there's a great barn out here, blah, blah, blah. And so I think I was signed up for lessons before like the parent teacher meeting even ended. Um, you know, my mom was just like Love really it. hoping that I would, that I would want to be, you know, like a pony girl. And she didn't realize that she was in for a lifelong obsession. Wow. Um, yeah. So kind of, you know, wild story. I started in the hunters. Um, I went to pony finals as a kid then got into pony club and eventing and I've fox hunted since I was eight years old, I think. Um, I've been fortunate to hunt all over the country and yeah. And then after college um, was kind of looking for like a real job and had interviewed a couple of places and just like looked at the four walls in an office and was like, I'm not ready for this to be my life. Mm. And so I had found a job grooming. Um, and I did that for about a month, went up to Vermont, worked the Vermont summer series, loved the woman I was working for, loved the horses and found that I really, really enjoyed the grooming, but I missed three day eventing. Um, I competed through the intermediate level myself at that point. And just really missed, you know, the cross country and things like that. Um, And so then ended up, I had known Jessica Payne for several years. She was a student of Jan Benny's when I worked for Jan while I was in college and they just happened to be looking for a groom. And so it all kind of worked right place, right time. And two weeks later, I packed up everything I owned and I moved to Aiken, South Carolina, and I spent the next six and a half years with them. So, and that was a wild, wild journey. So it was a great time. Backing up a little bit from when you went to riding yourself to 
kind of putting riding aside a bit to focus solely on grooming, was it difficult to focus less on riding? Or why do you feel like grooming became maybe more important to you than riding? A couple of different factors. It was one of those I, um, you know, I like I said, I had competed intermediate myself. I had jumped through 120 and I grew up in a small part of Southern Illinois, um, a very small horse community that was there, a very, very tight knit community, but very small community. And, um, you know, I was incredibly fortunate and unfortunate. I grew up 15 minutes down the road from Megan and Kelty O'Donoghue and their family. And Megan, um, I don't know how much you know about eventing, but she was, I mean, she's incredible. She's done many, many five stars. She was long listed for the 2014 world games on an off the track thoroughbred that she produced herself. And, you know, it, I just, I've learned so much from Megan and having her as a good friend since I was, you know, a young girl has been amazing, but at the same point in time, you know, I didn't come from millions of dollars to go buy really nice horses. And, you know, then to do that, you have to ride enough horses for people to want to put good horses underneath of you to get to the top. And I was just never going to be able to compete with what the O'Donoghue sisters had to offer. You know, they had their parents Mm. farm, they had an indoor, they had an outdoor, they had a property that they ran the event on. Like they, you know, had that in, you know, and then they had the client base as well of adult amateurs that rode their kids that came through with parents that then wanted to support the dream. And I mean, and I supported Megan, like I helped organize fundraisers for her, all of those types of things as we were growing up. And, you know, was probably one of her biggest cheerleaders and still am to this day behind her family. And, you know, it was just one of those, like, I was not going to get the miles in the saddle. Um, And then so kind of had to take a focus of, okay, well, how can I get to the top? And I've always Mm -hmm. been a very type A personality, very much a go-getter. Like I rode horses, I played sports, I was in every club I could possibly be in. And so I kind of thrived in taking on the challenge of running a barn and being able to be the logistics person from the ground. And it just happened that, you know, like I said, Doug and Jess were looking for someone. They had a very established program, but it was small at the time. You know, Doug had one advanced horse um, in Van Diver. He'd been around Kentucky um, on the running order horse at the time. And he had a couple of Grand Prix show jumpers. He jumped, I think, through the two star level in show jumping, but it wasn't, it wasn't like stepping into the program that it is today. And so I kind of got to grow within the program, which I think allowed me to thrive. And because I'm incredibly competitive, like building his program and made it better was just as rewarding for me as getting to ride, actually. And it took all the yeah. stress off of me because I just got to stand at the end gate and be a hot mess yeah. and not yeah. mess the horse up. <laughs> wow, that's so that's so cool. I mean, what an incredible experience you had. You started working with Doug Payne in 2016, correct? Yes. Yep. Okay. Yeah, August of 2016. Um, what was your overall experience being a part of his team as a groom? What were some of the best parts of being a groom and maybe, maybe what were some of the biggest challenges that you faced? Oh my gosh. I mean, it's just like, I could, I could sit here for days and tell you my good stories. Like, you know, I obviously the Tokyo Olympics, um, being the highlight of everything like that will forever be, you know, the top of the pyramid in my career, Um, especially, 
you know, I had a very, very, um, you know, deep connection with the Van Diver horse who went and we thought at one point in time that he would never run another horse trial again, let alone, you know, an advanced, a five-star, anything like that. So to have put years into his rehab and recovery and building him back up to take him, um, that just like, there's, nothing to compare to watching him jump the final fence of Tokyo. Um, you know, it didn't matter that he was 16th, like we made it there and we finished and that will forever be like the pinnacle of that. But I mean, I did, I did so many cool things. Like I was a groom at the Pan American games in 2019 where we were team gold and Doug came in fourth on a very young horse that hadn't been eventing for that long. We produced, many babies because that's how Doug and Jess run their program. They buy them as young horses and produce them themselves, you know, and so to watch those horses go from their first horse show to their first four star is incredibly rewarding. And to know that I had such a huge part in that Doug and Jess, they've built an amazing facility up here in North Carolina. And, you know, when I, even to today, when I see pictures of it, I know that you know, some of that's my ideas, my planning, you know, my discussions with them of the logistics of how to run the barn, like, all of that is still so incredibly rewarding to me. Um, But I mean, it's a difficult life, you know, it's long days, it's long hours, it's weeks on end on the road. And with us being unique, competing in the show jumping and eventing, like, we were on the road, I think, 45 weeks in 2021. And it's just, it's taxing, you know, and if I were 20 years old, I'd sign up and I'd do it all over again, you know, but it's a very tough life to live and to sustain long-term, you know. Right. Right. Absolutely. As part of your career as a groom, I'm sure you learned many tricks of the trade. What, what do you feel like is some of your biggest or best grooming tips that you have? Oh my gosh. Don't spend money on products at the tax shop. You can get almost everything <laughs> you need at like Walmart or Walgreens at the pharmacy section. Uh, um, that is what's like, your, like, what are like your go-to products that you always bought? Oh my gosh. So if you were to set me loose in, I'm just going to say Walmart just cause it's easy, you know, but any type of store like that, um, with a credit card to buy stuff for the barn, um, rubbing alcohol, witch hazel, apple cider vinegar, boot polish in black and in dark brown, duct tape, diapers, small plastic combs, a good like Conair square hairbrush. Those would probably be like my first things that I would go grab and cheap towels of all sizes. (laughs) Mm, mm -hmm. Definitely. Oh, that's a good little list. Yeah. Um, yeah. (laughs) I love it. Um, What do you, I feel like a lot of people may think of grooming as just, you know, making the horse and the rider look good. But obviously the job goes much deeper than that. How do you define a role of a groom? Oh my gosh. It's basically how many hats can you put on your head at one time and yeah, stand on right? one foot and juggle? <laughs> yeah. Um, I used to always say, I was like, you know, just give me a ballpark. I was like, we're going to turn all the squirrels loose in the ballpark and we might set a duck free, but I just need to know that there's a ballpark there, you know? And it's like everything yeah. else will fall into place and somehow, but you do, you know, you're, you know, you're a barn manager, you're potentially an exercise rider, you're going to have to be able to pull shoes and evaluate feet and become, you know, a logistical person when it comes to travel and 
scheduling and packing and you're going to become a wizard at packing and getting way too many items into too small of trunks. And (laughs) you're going to be a truck driver and you're going to be a secretary and you're going to, you know, be a client service representative. You have clients in your barn. Like you're going to develop a plethora of skills that you could take and use anywhere else. You know, you're going to understand sponsorship contracts and negotiate those and you're going to become a media person and it just you know you might become a babysitter even if you've never wanted kids depending on what your rider's life plan is (laughs) or your client's life plan you know you become a cook and a mentor to your working students and you know you become a friend and it's just it's a lot of things um you know but at the end of the day you become a really, really good horse person because you spend all day wanting to make things better for them, wanting to make sure they're as fit and as healthy as possible. Um, Mm -hmm. And if you're a really good groom, you're going to be a forever student because you're going to keep learning from every person you talk to, every book you read, every trip Mm. you go on, and every horse you have. Right. I feel like today, and you know, especially within the past several years, there's there's a bit of a challenge finding and keeping good grooms in the industry. What what do you think is going on that's making it hard to get grooms into the field and then stay there? Yeah. So this is um, a big thing that we're working on with the IGA. So the IGA, the International Grooms Association, is a nonprofit that has been in existence for a little over a year. Um, we're the first organization officially recognized by the FEI. And basically what we're doing is we're trying to make things better for grooms, both day-to-day working conditions and conditions at horse shows. And so a big thing that we're looking at is trying to find sustainability in the industry, because if we don't have grooms, then we're not going to be able to have professional riders and then we're not going to have team riders and, you know, the list goes on. And So even though the International Grooms is, you know, essentially geared towards FEI grooms, we're very much looking at the industry as a whole. And so that goes down to, you know, just your weekend stall cleaner that you have. And the problem is, in my experience, you know, the horse world is slow to change. We're eons behind a lot of other professional sports when it comes to safety products, you know, like the fact that you know, we're just now getting certified helmets that rate to the standard of the helmets that NFL players wear, you know, and they take how many Mm. hits a game, depending Mm -hmm. on what position they play. And we've got helmets that we're having to throw out after one hit because we're worried about style instead of, you know, the products that we're using to build them. And so Mm. then from an employment standpoint, you know, that is also incredibly slow to change. And We've gone, we've almost gone backwards a little bit. If you look at it, you know, in the nineties and early two thousands, like to go be a working student, you got your housing for free, your horse for free, your board for free or your room and board for free and your lessons for free. And now it's, if you want to be a working student, you're going to get your horse's board for half off your housing for half off. And you might still Mm -hmm. have to pay for like a quarter of your lessons. And I'm like, but we're working 60 hours a week. So yeah, how paying, does that work? Yeah. Yeah. You're getting free help. And if you do all the numbers on it, the amount of money that you're giving to the working student for the stall 
and for the house still doesn't equal the amount that they should be making if you were to pay them hourly. Right. And so it's a little bit like we're trying to stop the backslide and then make up the ground and make us progressive moving forward. And, you know, I think the problem is, is that inflation all over the world has made everything in life more expensive and riders are still doing the whole, you know, okay, well, we'll give you your housing and 500 bucks a week. And it's like, well, wait, that doesn't pay for anything. That doesn't allow me to have a car loan and pay my car insurance. Mm -hmm. It doesn't allow me to pay for my cell phone bill. It doesn't allow for me to eat anything other than like crackers and tuna. And then you're still not giving me health insurance on top of it. And then they throw in the, well, we're going to cover all your expenses when you're on the road with us and you're on the road with us all the time. So now you're also taking away my days off and any ability to have a social life. And then that leads to you have no outlet. And because fewer and fewer people want to work in these positions, you also are running with a skeleton staff. So then you really never get a day off or you never get to leave the barn before it's dark every night. So all you do is you go home and you sleep. And basically everyone just kind of goes, well, I'm out. Instead of going back to your boss and being like, hey, can we renegotiate something? They just leave. And so, you know, we're trying really hard. Um, I wrote an article a while back, um, actually, for another website called horsegrooms.com. And it was like 10 questions to ask your employer before taking a job. And it's basic Mm. questions that you would ask in any job interview. You know, what does my PTO schedule look like? you know, what are my benefits in this? When are we discussing a raise? Are we discussing it yearly? Am I going to work for, you know, 60 or 90 days and then discuss a raise? You know, it's just basic business questions like that. And I think if we can start the communication in that on the front side, that then there won't be as many blowups and people who leave on a bad day um, because there's a bit of an expectation put into place. And it's just... I think the horse world has run for so long on a handshake and word of mouth that, you know, today's generation doesn't want to do that because uh, according to them and the way you break it down, they could go make more money working at McDonald's and then just pay to show up and ride their horse. Mm -hmm. Let's take a minute and talk a little bit about tack cleaning, because it's not just about having clean tack, right? It's also about the health and well-being of your horse that comes in contact with your tack, and having beautiful, healthy tack that really lasts for a lifetime, because our tack is always quite an investment. So I want to talk to you a little bit about Sterling Essentials, because it's one of my favorite tack cleaning products. It's premium all-natural essential oil, powered leather cleaner, and leather conditioner. And what I really love about it is that there are zero toxins or harsh chemicals, um, counterproductive ingredients, um, so it's just like a really, really great, purely vegetarian product. Um, Beeswax, food grade ingredients, plant-based oils, and premium essential oils. So not only does it smell amazing, but you can really enjoy the feel of really clean leather without all the sticky leftover cleaning product residue, soap scum, white film, glycerin, or the slipperiness or oiliness that's often caused by other cleaners and conditioners. So for more information, visit their website at sterling-essentials.com. That's S-T-E-R-L-I-N-G-essentials.com. 
and I also have a promo code if you want to give it a try. So use the discount code Bethany, B-E-T-H-A-N-Y, for 30% off. This does not include bundles and terms apply, so you can see their policies on their website for more information, but I think it's a great opportunity to give some of their products a try. So again, that is sterlingessentials.com. Right. Yeah, that's such a good point. You've been working with the International Grooms Association and advocating for grooms to have a voice and representation at uh, really like a global level. Why do you feel like they need this voice? Are, are grooms, I guess, what are they interested in sharing and advocating for? What are some of the big maybe changes that grooms are asking for? I guess kind of like what you were just speaking on or is there is there an even bigger picture that you're you know working on with IGA yeah I think you know the big thing that we've run into is it's like when it comes to some of the rules that have been made there's not a single groom's voice that goes into the conversation on the front side of creating the rules so okay you know when this when like the FEI horse app came into play it's done you know, with the thought of the horse's health being in mind, like it's a digital place, you can plug in your temperatures, you know, X, Y, Z, all this and that you can plug in your health certificate, yada, yada. But then nobody came to the grooms and were like, well, what are the logistics of this? And nobody thought of the fact that you go to a five star and you get 70,000 people there on cross country day to watch and all the cell phone signal dies. So now you can't plug in your temperatures and Hmm. then you're getting a violation on your horse because your temperatures aren't plugged in in a timely manner. And the grooms are kind of like, okay, Hey, hang on a second, you know, like let's talk about this. And, you know, it's, we've kind of addressed it as the whole, like the squeaky wheel gets the grease thing. But if all four wheels squeak at the same time, you just ditch the car. Like if every single groom at a horse show shows up and starts complaining about the same thing over and over and over again, people snap. And so the IGA has been a place where grooms can send us their concerns, their complaints and their praise. You know, if they go to a horse show and a horse show is doing really, really good things and offering prize money or giving, you know, like little gift bags at the beginning, they can tell us that. And then we can post it and, you know, on a worldwide scale, it's like, Hey, look, Hey, horse shows, look at what, you know, Upperville just did a great job. I was there a couple of weeks ago. I know Traverse City is doing an amazing job. Look at what these horse shows are doing. And at the end of the day, the grooms, like we've put out a bunch of surveys, you know, we've got a dream show document in place of like what the grooms would like in an ideal world. They don't want big five-star fancy catered meals. You know, they want, if they're going to be somewhere where it's really cold, they want maybe somewhere to go sit inside that has heat. Um, without Mm -hmm. having to pay for, you know, food and drinks and stuff in order to just sit inside and warm up. They would like access to food and not even free food, just having like a food truck near the stables that isn't overrun with spectators where they could duck out quickly and buy lunch and duck back in. And they want to have water available. And that's fine if it's in the, you know, form of a giant water cooler that, is just refilled and they can refill water bottles. You know, no one's asking uh-huh. for hundreds of reusable of single use plastic water bottles. Like it's right. actually really simple. And if you're in a situation where, you know, they've set up caravans and you're staying in a caravan, you know, they're asking for like 
showers with hot water instead of camper showers. It's really mm-hmm. not like it's, it's not over the top crazy, you know, and then yes, like going back to the employment side of it is it's having, you know, sometimes even just an example or a structure of mm. what those difficult conversations look like so that you feel kind of brave enough to go to your boss, especially if you've been in a working situation for a while and you don't know how to go ask for a raise. And so to have that kind of an outlet, and we've got a lot of case studies up on our website in the member zone, you know, of how to have difficult conversations, whether it's asking for benefits or some more time off, you know, or to, for them to hire a little more help. You know, we've got um, a lot of information regarding that. And then, you know, we also want to be a resource. Like if people have questions, whether it's about, you know, how to go about getting a new job or traveling abroad for the first time, you know, we want everyone to feel comfortable sending us an email and asking for advice. I had a girl, she just went to the Nations Cup and she's a member and I spoke with her in person when she joined. She's a younger groom. She's only been doing it for a couple of years. And she called me. It's like the second four star she's ever groomed at. And definitely her first trip overseas. And she goes, how do I pack with my horse? And I spent 45 minutes on the phone with her going through different options and, you know, the different stages of the trip and things she's going to want accessible and all of that. And um, she sent me a really sweet text while she was over there. And she was like, I survived my flight with the horse. I got all this, like, thank you. Everything you told me was great. She's like, I could not have done this without you. And I want young grooms to feel like they can come to those of us that have been in the industry for a long time and get help because it's also, I mean, it's intimidating to know that, you know, you might be going on a trip with a groom that's been to 10 championships and you don't want to look like a new kid. So it's a small enough community. We want everyone to feel like they belong. What would you say is an area of the industry that, you know, you've become really passionate about, especially, you know, in terms of grooming that you feel like people either don't talk a lot about or don't know enough about? I think a lot of the old school horsemanship is something that's kind of gone by the wayside. Um, Social media is such a good thing in so many ways, but I do think some of the, you know, older, I hate to use the word holistic, but, you know, kind of like old school horsemanship practices just aren't there anymore. You know, letting these horses be horses sometimes. Like I really compared it one day to like my hunt horses versus my event horses and my fox hunting horses were tough as nails. And it's like, you know, why is that? And I was kind of like, because I don't treat them like China. You know, if you treat them like China, they'll break like China. Like horses are meant to be outside if they can handle it, you know, mentally. Like obviously if you've got a really nice, you know, upper level horse that loses its mind because of the bugs or when it's dark or something, you don't want to force them to like live in the natural state, but you want them to be horses. You want them to be grazing Mm -hmm. and walking and, you know, getting that kind of fitness. I think a lot of people have gone away from the long and slow miles that we used back in the days of long format eventing. And I think that's why we see a lot of horses that don't hold up for as long as they used to, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. And I think things like that, you know, we talk about this from a standpoint of, you know, good social license and good social presence and, hashtag two hearts during the Olympics and join the journey and things like that. But like, right. 
I really do wish that we would a little bit go back to some of the older tried and true methods instead of all of this new technology of, you know, aqua treads and swimming and, you know, treadmills and things like that. And I think there's a place for them. But Mm -hmm. I also think a lot of that has been formed because, you know, it's such a rat race to make money and to get ahead. You need more horses in training, but you don't have the staff to send them out for an hour hack every day, but you don't have the time to do it because you need to go teach 10 lessons in order to pay for these horses that you've now brought into your program to hopefully find a big owner to put a horse underneath you to, you know, be on a team. And it's just like kind of this never ending hamster wheel of exhaustion, (laughs) you know? Um, It's so true. But that's why, I mean, I hope that if we can kind of get some people, you know, talking about it and get some riders, you know, maybe to look at, you know, how to budget to pay people a bit more or, you know, just do small business health insurance. Because to take that expense off of your employees would open up, you know, a huge avenue for them financially. And it would, it would honestly protect you because you don't want them getting hurt either and not being Mm -hmm. able to go to the doctor and things like that. But then you could, you know, afford to have maybe another person on your staff who then could help go back to some of that, you know, horsemanship. And Mm -hmm. I don't know, we were really trying to get like some continuing education classes out there in the next year or so for younger grooms. Cause like I said, we want to train these younger grooms and we want to have a pipeline of people, but we also want to keep the veterans in because we want it to be a sustainable career. And we want younger people coming in to see that it's a career to be celebrated and Mm -hmm. a job that you can make into a career and you can stay in for a long time. And like I said, I've made some of the best friends that I'll ever make traveling abroad and experiencing stuff like that Um, through grooming. I've been to more countries than I could count never thought I would have made it to Japan in my lifetime, never thought I wanted to go to South America. And I've Mm. had some of the most amazing experiences through grooming. So I really hope that other people do want to do this job because it's so rewarding. (laughs) So rewarding. Yeah, definitely. Well, it's so cool because I think it definitely takes people like you who have been in it in a way that, you know, obviously it wasn't always rainbows and butterflies, but it was, you know, something that you put a lot of blood, sweat and tears into, but that you can just tell from hearing you talk about it, the passion is still so much, you know, so, so there and so prevalent um, as you talk about your career in grooming and the the fact that you've taken the the next step to really be an advocate for the, this industry and this career, I think is so inspiring and so cool. And I think it, you know, just like what you were talking about, about how, you know, in order to continue to incorporate some of the older school horsemanship into the career today, um, it's going to, you know, take people like you who have, you know, lived that out and, and lived out some of those methods to be able to continue to pass those along to younger grooms. So I think what you're doing is incredible. And I just want to thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story. I think it's, I think it's so special and, and really, you know, really inspiring. Well, well, thank you. Like I said, it's, it's something that I've thought a lot about. And I knew even though I was stepping away from, you know, working in the barn full time and everything that it was still something that I really, really wanted to focus on and put energy into because, um, you know, I would love to see more people want to do it. 
you know, and, um, considering I thought I was only going to do it for a year and I did it for six and a half, like, you know, (laughs) not the direction I thought my life was going to take, but I'm really glad it did. So, wow. That's amazing. Well, Courtney, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the podcast and sharing your story and your tips. And I wish you all the best. Oh, well, thank you guys so much for having me. It was so nice to do this. All right, that is all I have for you today. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you liked what you heard, please take a minute and write a review on iTunes. I would so appreciate it. It helps people like you find the podcast and it helps me get some killer guests. Thank you so much and I will talk to you next week.